You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program, and so much for a reset, so much for all that contrition as Ford, Doug Ford has now canceled those appointments, those patronage appointments that you heard about in the news. A senior government source confirming to Global News that the Premier himself has decided to revoke the appointments of Tyler Albrecht and Taylor Shields to postings in New York City and also in London, England. This is after we first reported on Global News Thursday night, though, the relationship between the Premier's Chief of Staff, Dean French, his son, and Albrecht. Now, this is from the Globe and Mail. Mr. Albrecht is a 26-year-old recent university graduate and financial analyst with close ties to Mr. Ford's Chief of Staff, Dean French, through their mutual involvement in lacrosse any kid can learn to play lacrosse turns out that that can pay for you because he was slated to receive a salary of over a hundred and sixty five thousand dollars for the posting as ontario's agents general shields was slated to receive a salary of a hundred and eighty five thousand dollars and all of this immediately cancels out any benefit that the premier might have had from the shuffle of his cabinet Much was made about the sort of subdued tone that the Premier had during his press conference, but it wasn't all subdued. Along with that contrition came this admonishment. There's a couple things that we could have done uh, differently and uh, that I've admitted it. Uh, Communications, because everything revolves around communications, getting uh, all the great successes uh, out into the news and making sure the media are fair and balanced, that the media don't just attack, but they also uh, report on some good things. I know that might be tough for some of you, but uh, I just expect uh, you to be fair and balanced. Uh, moving moving forward in year two, and hopefully I can see that uh, from the from the media. When asked if it was appropriate for him to warn the free and independent press that covers his government, the premier said, "Don't take it personally." You have a responsibility like everyone else, your public figures, you're giving information to the public, and I just want to make sure that it's uh, accurate information, and I wouldn't take that uh, personal uh, by any means. Now, regular listeners to this program know the Premier likes to intervene personally when he feels the media is reporting something that he thinks is inaccurate. Here is what he said when he called me. Well, thanks uh, thanks for saying all the <laughs> misleading, <laughs> misleading stuff, Alan, that forced me to call because it was just, uh, I almost hit three telephone poles with the characters <laughs> mislead the public. But that, that's typical. That, that's typical. My guest that day on April 29th, who so upset Doug Ford that he needed to pick up the phone after narrowly missing all those telephone poles, was Martin Reg Kahn from the Toronto Star. Now, Martin is the Queen's Park columnist for the Star. Of Thursday's cabinet shuffle, in which Vic Fideli was forced to wear a hair shirt of political shame, Recon writes, it is almost unheard of to yank a finance minister after barely a year on the job in a new government. But Fideli must be scapegoated and sacrificed so that the premier might survive to fight another day unscathed, even if undressed. When the emperor is found to have no clothes, when the truth has been laid bare, when the boos are out in the open, the emperor must run for cover, but damage control can only go so far when a government has reached the point of no return. That from Martin Redcon in the Toronto Star, and Martin joins me on the phone now. Hi, Martin. Hello, Alan. Has the premier reached the point of no return? 
Well, that's what pollsters are starting to tell us because his personal his personal popularity has gone below what it was for Kathleen Wynne. And we know what happened to Kathleen Wynne. She was so unpopular that people chose Doug Ford instead and held their noses and hoped that his cabinet would keep him under control, restrain him, constrain him, redirect him, and guide him. And guess what? Didn't work in that first year. They were too terrified to open their mouths. And now the premier has blown up the cabinet. He's blown up. He's nuked Vic Fideli. You know, I, I wore a yellow tie yesterday, Alan, in, in, in mourning in solidarity with Vic Fideli because he loves his yellow ties. But the premier can only see yellow journalism in all of this. You know, he's looking for fair and balanced he wants fair and balanced. That's the slogan of Fox News. This is Ontario. Uh, we don't uh, operate under that slogan or under his supervision. What do you make of the appointments and then the quick reversal after the reporting? Well, I have a quick scoop for you here. Uh, beat Travis to the punch on this one. It turns out that uh, Ron Taverner will instead go to New York and the 26-year-old will become a head of the Ontario Provincial Police because he's a very good lacrosse player. Now, kidding? Just kidding. But uh, in all seriousness, when the Canadian Taxpayers Federation starts to complain about how egregious, how disgusting, how much this smells, you know the Premier has overstepped and he had to walk back a few steps. When the American Chamber of Commerce complains about how he's trying to blow up the beer store deal that's going to expire in about three or four or five years, you know that the Premier has overstepped. Uh, I just, I, I, we're all speechless today, Alan. Feathering each other's nest. Doug Ford seems to have just either lost control utterly of his government, or is it possible, Dean French, I saw him lurking at the back of the lieutenant governor's suite yesterday before all the uh, cabinet ministers came in. Is it, is it possible that Mr. French is really truly running the show here? Well, look, every government, not just progressive conservative, also liberal and NDP and other provinces, the, the, the premier's office runs the show and the premier's chief of staff is very powerful, but also respectful of elected members. And you know, the star had a story a week or so ago about how Dean French was berating in a raised voice one of the backbenchers and then had to call to apologize. But let's circle back to the shuffle. But the thing that the problem that I have is, as a journalist covering this shuffle is it's more of a circus. It's, it's not about the cabinet ministers. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Some of them get, get gold stars. Some of them get bronze stars. But why are we talking about shuffling the cabinet when everyone understands that the elephant in the room is the emperor with no clothes? It is Doug Ford. He's the problem. He's in the popularity tailspin, and he's dragging down his party. So shuffles are irrelevant when it's the premier who is the problem. What do you make of the sacrificing of Vic Fideli? I said yesterday on this program that there is a deep unpopularity amongst some quarters within that party because of the way that Mr. Fideli handled the, uh, the wake of the explosion and the implosion of Patrick Brown. Do you think that played anything into this, that he just doesn't have any allies in there? Well, it doesn't help when you have nobody as a backstop. But if Vic Fideli had been a successful finance minister, let's say the way Bill Morneau is federally, finance ministers are rarely stars. We could talk about Jim Flaherty. When I say successful, I mean a survivor. Vic Fideli did not survive the first anniversary. Now, Vic Fideli is not without talent. He was a very successful mayor of North Bay. And briefly, Alan, the problem with this Vic Fideli blame game 
I'm not defending him for one moment. I thought it was the worst budget rollout in recent history. But the idea that he went rogue, that this was all Vic Fidelli's fault, is preposterous. You know, Alan, that when the HST came into Ontario a few years ago, Dalton McGuinty never even told his finance minister about it. It's all controlled by the centre. The budget is the blueprint of any and every government. It is not done. It is not delegated to the finance minister. It is done entirely as a tag team. So by firing Vic Fideli, he fired himself effectively. You can read Martin's column in the Toronto Star today and on their online platform. Martin Redcon is the Queen's Park columnist for the Toronto Star. Thanks so much for being with us, Martin. Thank you, Alan. On the line now, Travis Danraj, who is uh, seething with anger that he didn't get to break that Ron Tavner news. Hey, Travis. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Any kid can learn to play lacrosse. Can Ron Tavner play lacrosse? <laughs> well, you know, this the story is very interesting, Alan, because yesterday was supposed to be all about the shuffle, as you know. Yes, and now we have this backtrack on all of this. So what... What is the government, what are your sources saying about how it is that the premier obviously either didn't know or didn't understand how this would be perceived? No, he didn't know is what we are being told, and that he was absolutely furious uh, when he found out. And he found out basically through our story breaking last night, late last night, uh, that these appointments, two of the appointees, uh, we have connections to Dean French. Uh, one, of course, being a uh, friend of Dean French's son, a fellow lacrosse player. The other, sources tell us, is related through marriage to Dean French. It's his wife's cousin. So uh, clearly the premier was not told about this in advance. We're told that uh, very few people really had any knowledge as to who these folks were. But I mean, this, uh, I would like to say that, you know, it took a, a ton of, of, of research and digging and sleuthing around, but honestly, Alan, it was a Google search, and it was pretty, pretty apparent uh, that the, the first case, Tyler Albrecht, was connected to Dean French. Travis, I know you're going to have more on this tonight. i got to let you go. It is such a fascinating story, and uh, uh, the day that the government hopes for a reset and a, a, a different look, the look it gets is not good. Travis Damrish, yeah. thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. A new report says there were more than 4,460 opioid overdose deaths in 2018 in this country. And that is a 10% increase from the number of opioid deaths just the year before that. New data coming out from the Public Health Agency of Canada. And it points to a worsening overdose death crisis across the country. As we know, British Columbia continues to be hit the hardest, but Ontario has not been spared. To talk more about what is being done to change the way that doctors prescribe opioids and the way that we deal with this crisis, because it is not just a crisis of junkies in the streets. If you think that that is what it is, you are grossly misinformed. 
David Yerlink is a Canadian pharmacologist and an internal medicine doctor. He is head of the Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology Division at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto, and I am pleased to welcome to the pro- him to the program. Hello, doctor. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What has changed in terms of the way that doctors prescribe opioids in the last couple of years? Well, I mean, you've hit on an important point in that the crisis that we're in the midst of is a complex and a multifaceted one, and the treatment of pain is only part of it. I think what's happened most is that doctors have begun to, I think, rethink how they prescribe opioids and how, you know, how we use them. 10, 15 years ago, it was very common for doctors just to use them liberally and to start them you know, in patients who maybe shouldn't have been put on them, but often escalating to, to very high doses over many months or years. And I think we harmed a lot of people in that way. What we're doing now, um, there's some good and bad things what we're doing now. One of the good things we're doing is I think we are, uh, on balance, being more thoughtful in how we use them. We are starting them a little more um, reluctantly uh, and, and not continuing them for quite as long or escalating the doses. But the other thing that we're doing that isn't quite, isn't helpful and actually can harm patients is... You know, it, because there's this belief out there that it's just a matter of, you know, cutting back prescriptions, which it, it isn't. But, I mean, what we are seeing is people who, are, who have been escalated to high doses and have been on them for years who are having their doses cut back very quickly by doctors who think that that's the right thing to do. And those people are harmed in that way because they're plunged into withdrawal. So that's just one of the many, many facets of the crisis. But uh, I would say that we are using them more carefully than we did, say, 10 years ago. There's still some room to, to go, though. There is a new report from the Coalition for Safe and Effective Pain Management that found that many Canadians are simply unaware of pain management alternatives. And of course, doctor, I take your point that this is not just pain management, but that is a major factor in the crisis. And that Canadians are just simply unable to access these pain management therapies because either A, they're not publicly funded, or they're just not funded through their insurance. And to talk more about that part, of this issue, I am pleased to welcome Alison Danta, who is the CEO of the Canadian Chiropractic Association and a chair for the Coalition for Safe and Effective Pain Management. Hi, Alison. Oh, good afternoon, Alan. Thanks for having me on the show. Do you think doctors do a good enough job in telling patients that, look, there are these other ways that you can deal with your pain? I think that doctors are getting better at at doing that with patients and what our coalition would like to do is raise awareness uh, with uh, primary care providers to provide more information and have a wider uh, option for non-pharmacological options when patients present in pain. And so it is about the Canadian public, but it's also about our prescribers and primary care providers having a broader knowledge of what's available. Dr. Yerling, do you see that outreach and that kind of information coming to those who are giving out the prescriptions? Um, I mean, to a certain extent, but I think it's an important point. You know, we, we live in a very pill-centric society, and I think it's, with pain it's, it's somewhat understandable in that nobody wants to be in pain. And so when someone comes to a doctor and pain is a chief complaint, the patient wants it gone and the doctor wants to help. And telling someone that they, you know, should lose some weight or exercise or seek cognitive behavioral therapy or go to a physiotherapist, um, when some of those things are hard and some of those things, as was mentioned, aren't funded, aren't covered, um, and they don't work quickly, um, it's sometimes a hard 
discussion to have. And it's so easy. You know, you can write a prescription in 15 seconds, but it takes 5 or 10 or 15 minutes to not write one. Uh, and so I think that that message is trickling out there, but we still do very much live in a society that focuses on medications for any complaint, whether it's pain or insomnia or anxiety or what have you. Yes, and I take that point. I mean, if I have a headache, I, I'm, I'm unlikely to meditate. I'm more likely to take a pill. And so, Allison, how or can we change that, that that is the first thing that we reach to? Yes, I think we can, because I think that we are now ready in, in the healthcare system across this country, in communities. There are lots of innovations happening around the the provision of primary health care where we have integration of a number of different professionals that are available to the patient when they first show up ahead of the first script being written. And I think that's the focus that we really wanted to bring to this conversation is that when patients arrive at their primary care provider, that there, there is a team approach to the care that's being offered. And that evidence shows that if Patients are able to access a variety of options based on the, the assessment um, that they will have a better outcome than just having a script. And so our focus is on the prevention upstream from the first script being written. And I think that there's growing evidence and growing opportunity to study interprofessional health care across this country. And I think it will make a big difference to patients. If your focus is upstream, then Dr. Ten. When you talk about downstream, if I could use that term, and, and you, you touched on this, on, on the harm that could be done to someone who is already taking some level of opioid and then removing that, and then suddenly they're on the black market and they're trying to find some way to deal with pain, are these non-medicinal or, or these non-medication routes, are they a plausible way for those who are already using pain medication to sort of transition away? Well, um, I mean, to the extent that they allow people to transition to lower doses gradually, I think that that's helpful. So someone, for example, who's got chronic low back pain and is on, just for argument's sake, you know, the equivalent of 400 milligrams of morphine per day, which is a lot of morphine, um, but it was it's not unheard of. We see patients on much higher doses. If that person can, with the assistance of non-medical therapies, and I'm thinking specifically of cognitive behavioral therapy, of talk therapy, or you know, anything else that's not going to harm him or her, transition to 300 or 200 over the period of you know, typically weeks or months, that's, that's going to be a win. I don't think it's going to help patients who have, had the, who have been destabilized by having a, their dose cut from 400 down to 100 overnight. Uh, those patients need a different approach, which usually involves giving their opioids back to them and then, and then trying to go about things more gradually. So it depends on the patient. Allison, the uh, final word to you, um, to those listeners out there who may be dealing with pain, so many of us do, whether it's back pain, any kind of chronic pain, what, do, what message do you want to get to those people? That there are alternatives to just being prescribed uh, medication to help with easing the pain, and that you can ask your primary care provider for all of the options that may exist for your pain so that you can make an informed decision together about the best uh, possible treatment going forward. What we're working toward is a future where it's just as easy for a doctor to arrange access to alternative pain management as it is to write an opioid prescription. 
A fascinating and uh, very interesting conversation. There's so many facets to this. Dr. David, your link is with Sunnybrook Hospital, and Allison Danta is CEO and chair, or CEO, pardon me, of the Canadian Chiropractic Association and chair of the Coalition for Safe and Effective Pain Management. Thank you to both of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I want to quickly talk about a couple of things that are breaking right now, and that is one. Coming up at 1 o'clock today, we are going to get information from the Special Investigations Unit into the shooting in on the Danforth. That is uh, coming up at 1 o'clock. Reporters are just now going into embargoed uh, an embargo situation. That's where they'll get the report in advance, and then those details become available and will become public at 1 o'clock today. So keep your eye on that. And then also, just breaking here, this just in from the Globe and Mail, Renata Ford, the widow of the late Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, whose brother Doug Ford, as you know, is now the progressive conservative premier of this province, Renata Ford will stand as a candidate for the right-wing People's Party of Canada in the fall election. That, according to a party spokesperson, from the People's Party of Canada. They say that laws are put there for my safety And drugs are bad, are those on welfare lazy Corruption lives within the halls of justice So what's the sin if cops and priests get busted? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's right? What's right? I'm having trouble trying We continue to talk about the opioid crisis that continues to be a scourge on this country, and we know that the recent numbers show us that uh, British Columbia has been hit the hardest, but we also know that it has spread, and it is continuing to impact families here in Ontario. And one of the things that's happening is that some doctors are now taking the drastic step of prescribing potent opioids to patients who just may otherwise overdose and die on street supplies. And they're calling for other clinicians to do exactly the same. All of this is part of a growing safe supply movement that is kind of operating on the fringes in Canada. It's made up of prescribers and harm reduction advocates in this country who are calling for access to pharmaceutical opioids as an alternative to the illicit market that has become tainted now with fentanyl and carfentanyl. And we heard in our last segment about the dangers of physicians withdrawing opioids too quickly from patients who are already using it for pain management and how that can force people into the black market and then they are exposed to precisely what I am talking about. Here's uh, Rachel Brown talking about what some of the doctors are doing in the podcast that you can hear now. If the podcast is Wait, There's More. Here's investigative journalist Rachel Brown. Supervised consumption sites save lives and do not have a negative impact on crime rates in the communities. That was then Federal Health Minister Jane Philpott in 2016. But a lot of people say that the government's efforts don't go far enough, and what's really needed are things like a safer supply of opioids for people who have addictions and decriminalization of drug possession as a way to, you know, get rid of the stigma that a lot of people who have addictions face. 
That is the podcast, Wait, There's More. And I am joined now by the host of the program, Tamara Kandecker. Thank you so much for being on the program, Tamara. Hi, thanks for having me. This is so interesting. I am fascinated by how many different ways we can think about how to uh, solve this problem. What struck you about doctors actually going to the point of saying, look, I'm going to give you the drug because otherwise I think your life is at risk? Yeah, uh, Rachel Brown is is a friend of mine who's been covering the opioid crisis for for you know many years now, and she just uh, knows the ins and outs so well. And I was just talking to her yesterday about this latest story that she was working on, um, which is about how uh, how how tainted the street supply of heroin and fentanyl has become with this this new drug called carfentanil. Um, and the way that she was describing it to me was. Uh, you know, this is, there is no benefit to carfentanil. It's something that was created to sedate large animals like elephants. And this is the kind of stuff that um, people who are addicted to opioids are taking now. And their tolerance is going up so much that there are doctors who are worried um, that at, at a certain point, treatment is just not going to be effective. So they want to reach those people before they get there. And so what they're doing now is prescribing these these pharmaceutical, you know, really potent opioids so that um, so that these patients have a cleaner supply of drugs um, to take so that they're not relying on the illicit market. And I just found that to be crazy and shocking. Yes, I know some of the reporting that I've done, uh, you know, addicts will tell me that just you, you cannot find heroin. Heroin just simply doesn't exist in the streets anymore. I mean, people will tell mm-hmm. you that it's heroin, but it is simply not. It is either it is fentanyl or it's mixed, but to find heroin is, is very difficult on the streets these days. But the podcast that you host, the idea here is to get a little bit behind these headlines and get into that sort of nitty-gritty that you're talking about and the sort of things that you think, well, wait a minute, I didn't know that aspect of this story. Mm-hmm, exactly. So um, I think uh, there's been so much reporting on the opioid crisis, and it, you can kind of get lost in all the headlines, and it's really hard to keep up about, you know, with which province is doing what, what doctors are thinking now, how bad it's gotten, what the street supply looks like, all of this stuff. So what I'm trying to do with this podcast and with this episode in particular is to kind of give people a primer um, on the entire crisis, um, as well as the way that people have been responding to it. And the way that we're going into that story is by looking at this this latest movement for a cleaner supply of, of opioids. So by the end of the episode, the idea is that you, you, would, have a, you would have a pretty good grasp of, of what's happening on the ground. And so what you're doing is you're in in contact with all of the global news reporters right across the country. And so you just go through and you pick and choose and you think, well, now there's something that I didn't know or something that I think I need to shine a light on. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not even always uh, global news reporters. Um, sometimes there's something in the newsroom that I think, you know, is, is, is a good podcast subject and something that we can really expand on because it's complicated. But sometimes it'll be an international story uh, that you may not have been paying attention to, and all of a sudden it's popped up and everybody's talking about it, but you may have no clue what's going on. So with the podcast, I'll, I'll give you a, 
an explainer and I'll talk to an expert or someone in, in you know, whatever country the situation's happening in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, I'm talking to all kinds of people, journalists, um, experts, uh, you know, eyewitnesses. Uh, yeah, it just depends on the story. So, Tamara, what you're doing is you're helping people become better cocktail party guests is what you're doing. Is because so now That's we're just... the idea, yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing, is, is that you're, you're helping us prepare for the weekend so we're more interesting people because generally without you, we would be dull. I would I would hope that that's what I'm what that's what I'm accomplishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tamara, thank you so much. That's uh, Tamara Kandacker, who is the host of the new podcast that uh, is called Wait. There, how do you say it? You go, Wait. There's more. What do you do? You put like an exclamation. What do you? Uh, uh, how do you say it? I do, I try to give it a more serious delivery. So oh. I say you're listening to Wait. There's more. <laughs> okay, I like that. That's good. Thank you, Tamara. Appreciate that. Thanks so much. You can uh, get that podcast wherever you get all of your casts and your pods. All of the pods are available. And, and may I mention as well that this program is also exists in pod form. Put yourself inside the pod and luxuriate in the pod. Guest check-in here. Fearless Fred from Q107 is here. He's all limbered up. Uh, Fred, what are you about to do? I'm about to walk for 24 hours straight, man. Why would you do such a thing? Because I'm raising money for Children's Wish Ontario. They're a great organization. They do really good things, so... All right. No, this is the second year you've tried this madness. Oh, not tried. I succeeded last year, and I will succeed again. I like the attitude. Oh, absolutely. Do or do not, there is no try. All right, Yoda, settle down. Uh, so you're just gonna you're gonna right out here in the hallway or in the lobby. You have a machine yeah. set up. I got two treadmills because uh, the treadmills will automatically shut down after an hour. So you've got to switch on to the next one. Oh, is there, is there like a kind of a dance move from one to the other? No, you just get up and walk to it because you're walking anyways. So I oh. always just keep track of the kilometer reading that's on there. That's really the only thing I get concerned with when it's shutting down is where the kilometers are when I'm done. <laughs> I just keep track of them. I want to know how far I went. So what have you done to prepare for walking for 24 hours, Fred? Uh, a lot of stuff at the gym, a lot of cardio. I was eating good food the last two weeks. Stretching, actually, every day, a few times a day for the last two or three weeks, especially my hip flexors have been a little tight. None of this makes any sense to me. You get it. You understand what it is. I don't know what you're talking Lots about. Lots of stretches. Stretching. Like I, I stretch to uh, reach another donut. That's Absolutely. my stretch. Yeah, it's a good one. You don't want to pull out well, your no. boys when you're reaching for a donut. No, it's a jelly. Yeah, and that's, it's got a little extra weight to it. A lot you might of weight wanna... there on the rotator cuff. Yeah, you got to take it easy, you know? <laughs> All right. Tell people again, how do they get behind you? Uh, and I don't mean that literally, because yes. you're going to start smelling it about six hours. I will. I brought a change of clothes, but... Uh, Are you going to do that while on? Like, I, that would be cool. I can, yeah, I can, if I need to. Like a walking change. I've done... You've. We've all done it. We've all done the walking sure. change. 
Q107.com, you can go to make a donation. And you can follow me on uh, social media as well, at Fearless underscore Fred on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. It's a great cause and uh, just great. I, I, I congratulate you, sir. You going to uh, hop on? Uh, you come out with me? Hop on, hop off. Yes. yes. Done. Shine on, shine off. All right. Well, you want to tell some stories? Let's tell some stories. We're going to tell some stories. I'm going to start uh, today in Philadelphia. This is in Philadelphia, where federal authorities have upped the amount of cocaine they say they have seized from a ship at the Philadelphia port to more than 35,000 pounds. That's 15.8 thousand kilos, folks. The street value of that drug, $1.1 billion. Authorities first boarded the ship on Sunday night and began a full investigation Monday. So that's a, that's a lot. So let's go from snow to sand. In Miami, one of Florida's most famous beaches has an unwelcome guest for the past several years, smelly brown seaweed. And now residents want something done about it. Miami Beach residents are so fed up with the seaweeds washing up on shore, they're pressing county officials to come up with a solution to get rid of the brown nuisance. Fred, stinky sand. You saying that I'm going to stink like stinky sand when I'm on the treadmill? There is a correlation. (laughs) We travel beneath the stinking waves to visit now some singing seals. In London, researchers in Scotland say gray seals can copy the sounds of human words and songs including Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The study by University of St. Andrews researchers showed that three trained seals were able to imitate parts of popular tunes. The researchers' team's findings were published Thursday, including video footage of the seals. Have you seen this, Fred? No, but I expect them to go on tour soon. They'll be at the they'll be at the Scotiabank Arena. Are you sure that's not Cardi B? That was the seals, right? <laughs> they will go on. They, they're going to go on tour, and then one of them is going to hold up a uh, an inappropriate sign, mm. and then there will be one less. Yeah. <laughs> The two seals. Did you see when the tenors were on? I was like, <laughs> when they were singing the national anthem at the finals, I was like, don't hold up a sign. <laughs> don't hold up a sign. <laughs> it is suggested that gray seals could be a new model to study speech disorders since their vocal tracks are the same as humans. Did not know that. From one bark to another. Go to Orlando, Florida, where Pluto was not doing downward dog, but thousands of Disney workers unrolled their yoga mats in front of castles at the company's theme parks in Florida, California, France, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. It was a massive yoga event all around the world, marking the fourth year that Disney workers have participated in International Yoga Day. Did you know this, that it was International Yoga Day? I didn't, but I should have, because it's very good for limbering up your joints. You should probably get on the floor and do a little down. I can do dog. the pigeon stand right now if you want. I don't want to see that. Okay. All right. Well, if you need me to, I, I, I will. It's also a World Giraffe Day. Did you guys know that? World Giraffe Day today. Rebecca weighing in with it is also World Long Neck Day. Yes. <laughs> also go skateboarding day. There's a day for everything. But back to Walt Disney World in Florida, where hundreds of Disney workers laid out their mats and rose in front of Cinderella's castle as the sun rose over the horizon. Soothing music played through the speakers. And then it was over, and it was a mad dash to the rides. Disney officials say they encouraged their workers to participate and take small steps towards a healthy lifestyle. Have you been to any of those parks? Absolutely. I was just there a little while ago to go to Star Wars Land. And they're awesome. Oh, my God. But I, the minions, I don't think they're healthy. Uh, not a lot. No, no. 
No. There's they... a lot of rascal carts at Disney. I just think, that, like, the poor people that work there, I mean, I just, you know, they probably need a moment for some yoga just to, you know, cleanse the soul. Oh, dude, I can imagine it's very grating on the soul. Unbelievable. I have, I have one more, and I know you're going to enjoy this one. This is from Romulus, Michigan, where authorities say a man took off more than his belt and shoes at a Detroit Metropolitan Airport security checkpoint. He got completely naked before trying to pass through the metal detector. The Wayne County Airport Authority said in a statement that the man walked up to the checkpoint early Friday, disrobed. He then disconnected a stanchion, approached a metal detector, but security did not let him through. Airport police and fire crews responded, determined the man did not pose a threat, but word of his naked appearance spread on Twitter. Here's the thing. This is a guy that clearly takes security seriously, and he's being punished for it. Like, he wanted everyone to know how safe he was. I'm not hiding anything. Absolutely. Exactly. He wasn't hiding anything. Nothing. Not a thing. And they tell you to do so many things when you go through the airport, and you just, sometimes you feel like you want to flip him a bird, but you know you can't. Maybe that guy's a time traveler from the future, and that's how you have to go through airport security in like a decade from now. Naked. Yeah. Naked as a jaybird. Mm. So those are some stories from around the world. <laughs> well, we got it all here on the uh, Alan Carter radio program, hanging out with Fearless Fred, who in an hour's time, just a little bit more than an hour's time, is going to take, boy, oh, he's going to get on a, a treadmill, and you're going to do it clothed, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. You know you could raise more money if you were naked. Well, maybe we'll do that if we're not reading, reaching our fundraising goals by the end of the hour. So you would do like a, I would, yeah, like a sort of, I will take this off or that off as a... Done and done. If that's what, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Very nice. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to quickly talk about a couple of other quick stories, and these ones are a little bit more serious because I, I want to tell you again that at 1 o'clock today, the embargo is going to lift on the Danforth shooting, the investigation from SIU. We simply don't know very much about what happened there. It has been a real lack of information. And coming up tonight on Global News at 530 and 6, we're going to have that latest for you. Obviously, we'll have it for you here on the radio show beginning at 1 o'clock. We also have breaking news that Jesse Smollett, the Jesse Smollett case is back again, and it is trending again on on Twitter because there is a belief now that there is a new investigation and there is some possibility that charges may be laid again against Jesse Smollett. So we're going to keep our eye on that story as well. Kawhi Leonard. Let's talk about Kawhi Leonard at the Jays game. Can we play this? Kawhi at the Jays game yesterday when he walks down. And looky here, Mr. Martinez. The NBA Finals MVP is in the house. And fans are just realizing it, and he's getting a standing O. That's pretty awesome. Here is my worry, and I'm not the first one to note this, but Kawhi has been a man about town. I think it was Scott Stinson from the National Post put this on Twitter. He's been like, so now Kawhi, he's been at a restaurant. He's been at the Jays game. Please, God, tell me this is not just like I'm seeing the sights on my way out. Like, you know, if if he's at the zoo today, we're screwed. Like, that's it. I love the zoo. I do, but that's what you see when you're like, ah, well, I've been to Toronto, I went to the zoo. And, and like, if, he, if we see him eating uh, at the revolving restaurant on the CN Tower, that's it, he's leaving for sure. Oh, that would be so bad. But he did, did you notice he did hold up the one 
he holed up, everybody's like shouting, and uh, one more year. So I'm thinking one more year, Kawhi Leonard. That's my prediction. He's here for one more year. Really? I think so. Okay, I hope so. I'm thinking two. Two. You're going to double down. Mm-hmm. I dig it. All right. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. Uh, after this, I head on to Don Mills. I drive up the Don Valley, and I go to Canada's first ever planned development, uh, Don Mills. Uh, and it's a dystopian nightmare there along Eglinton, so enjoy that. Eglinton and Don Mills, it probably is going to take me about six hours to get there from here. And then I'm back again on Monday for more of this joyous fun. Wow.